Are you a hunter or an outdoor enthusiast? Take your love for firearms to the next level with Goat Guns. Our miniatures are an ideal addition to your hunting gear or cabin decor. Each model is meticulously crafted, capturing the essence of legendary firearms. Celebrate your passion for the outdoors by displaying these stunning pieces. With Goat Guns, you can showcase your love for hunting and firearms in a unique and artistic way. Explore our collection now and embrace your outdoor spirit at GoatGuns.com. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of all things horror with a discussion about slasher films and the final girl trope. And I'm very excited about this one. So, But before we get into that, before we have everyone introduce themselves, just a couple of housekeeping notes. As always, we are taking listener support now. Uh, you can either click the link in the show notes or go directly to our anchor page and click listener support. And for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a a month. You can help the show. You can help us get better audio equipment or update our audio equipment, make sure that's running well. And also, like I said, um, right now, 50% of what we see from that and what we, what we see from the one ad that makes money on the podcast um, will be going to a special organization, a Black Lives Matter organization. I'm going to pick one per month. So in the month of November, I will pick one. I'll announce that one. And that one will get 50% of whatever we see for that month and then so on and so on. So just wanted to let you know that. So once again, go ahead and click on the show notes and listener support. And I appreciate everybody listening and everybody's support. And another way you can support the show that won't cost you anything is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because every rating and review, it helps us get found in that big, big, big wide world of podcasts. So thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture they're excited about right now. Start with you, Rebecca. Or no, I'm sorry. Start with you, Megan. I'm sorry. Last time I had Rebecca on, I'm I'm just sorry. My brain is dead. Okay. <laughs> Megan! <laughs> great. I understand. It's been a week. Um, for me right now, um, I'm very excited about this month being October and spooky season. So, um, I get to watch my favorite film of all time, which is Young Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein, but Frankenstein as you watch the film. Um, it's comedy horror, and I enjoy all the puns and things like that that are in there. And it always makes me, me super happy just to see some well-loved people like, like Jean, as well as, um, uh, <clears throat> Uh, just how they all enact on the different sort of tropes of like the evil crazy scientist and this pretty like assistant girl and how they kind of make fun of it I've always admired that and I don't know it's something I think should be preserved but I can see it falling off like they haven't really created any um, blu-rays for it or allow it on any sort of digital platforms right now just because of um, ownership issues but I still have the DVD and I watch it every year. <laughs> this is an embarrassing confession here, but I have actually never watched that movie. I know. <laughs> so I should remedy that uh, so that Megan can still talk to me. But no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know I have to watch that movie. So I should, maybe I should remedy that this season. So yeah, so that's a good reminder to me. Rebecca? Hello there. So I'm Rebecca Jacobson and let's see, apart from digging through Shudder for new horror movies, actually one of my favorite, very bizarre completely uncategorizable horror movies that I came across on Shudder is called All Cheerleaders Die. <laughs> it, it is really campy. It is really ridiculous. It is really wild and out there. I I honestly don't know that anyone ever edited the script. I'm, I kind of have this, this theory in my head watching it that this was one of those, like, you start telling the story and then the next person picks it up and the next person <laughs> picks it up. <laughs> because by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're like, wait a minute, where did we start again? <laughs> but, but it is a lot of fun. So if you're looking for a fun and campy, uh, really unusual horror film that's kind of part zombie film, part occult film, not into high school kind of slasher movie. <laughs> it defies description. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, and I love that I'm now not the only person who mentions Shudder <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> okay, and now Sasha. <laughs> yes, and I have, still haven't subscribed to Shudder yet. I did download the app. Hold on. I downloaded the app. I'm getting there. It's baby steps. I will get there just because of this entire podcast. Um, So my pop culture thing is not horror right now. I know. Just work with me. Uh, I am super late to the Witcher game. Uh, So I just started watching Witcher on Netflix. I hadn't seen it. I know it was big hype a while ago. And clearly by your faces, you haven't watched it either. So that makes me feel better. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just, I binged the entire Witcher season one, uh, mostly because there was a rumor about my uh, fictional boyfriend, Mr. Momoa, being in one of the seasons coming up. So I had to uh, watch it for him. Yeah, yeah. Because if you listened to our episode where we just discussed people we like, you'll remember that Sasha loves, loves him. So yeah, yeah, no surprise there. And I'm just going to point out, because you didn't mention it being your thing, but because I was kind of secretly hoping it would be your thing, because I know you watched um, the Babysitter Killer oh, Queen. Killer Queen. <laughs> so good. Any excuse I to love that about one. That <laughs> oh, so good. It is better. The, the second one is better than the first one. Yep. You have to watch the first one because it gives you the background, and it's a shirtless Robbie Amell for no reason they even comment on it like where why why yes yes i was so good and the music and oh, so good everything is so yes. great about that movie did I'm you see that witcher and killer queen i'm good <laughs> it's fine starting up now <laughs> did you see that one megan um because i heard I rebecca not, say it but uh i've seen the witcher so I will recommend it 10 out of 10 um, it is definitely fun. If you've played the video game before uh, just to kind of see it enacted in real life, but 
I'm kind of hoping with the TV show they take it in a little bit of a different direction than the video game. So it's very curious to see what they'll do next season. They just got confirmed for a third season, too. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah, I haven't watched that at all. But but I but I know that I think I believe someone else on one of our past episodes recommended that one, too. So I think it's been brought up before, but I could be wrong. And what I'm into goes back a little bit to our true crime episodes. I'm watching on HBO Max. Since I'm not recommending Shudder, it has to be something on HBO Max, right? Um, but I'm watching the show the White House Farm Mur- Murders, which is about the White House Farm Murders, which if you don't know what those were, and this was in England um, during the night of August 6th to 7th, 1985, Neville and June Bamber were shot and killed inside their farmhouse, along with their adopted daughter, Sheila Caffell, and Sheila's six-year-old twin sons, Daniel and Nicholas. Um, And the only surviving member of June and Neville's immediate family was their adopted son, Jeremy Bamber, who said he had been at home a few miles away when the shootings took place. They blamed it on Sheila because she had schizophrenia, and they said that she did it, and it was a murder-suicide, and really it it wasn't. Um, And I don't know if everybody's familiar with it, so maybe I won't spoil it. But it, it wasn't her at all. And so the movie is kind of a, a f- not fiction, but it's a fictionalized account of that story. And it's all about a detective who suspects right away that it just couldn't have been the sister that did this. So it's it's really good. And if you love true crime, I highly recommend it. So, Okay, so let's get into slasher flicks and the final girl trope. Um, and this one, I will be honest, of all the ones we're doing this month, I would say this one and our paranormal and probably vampires too, but are my ones that I'm the, I was the most excited to do because I just, like I said on our Why We Love Horror, I love slasher films and it took me a while to really admit that I loved them, but I do love them. Um, and I find that I go to slasher films, vampire films, which I didn't mention on why we love horror and, uh, paranormal are usually are my most go-to when it comes to horror. So we're going to start talking about first, we're just going to talk a little bit about where slasher films came from and talk about some of the other slasher films and a little bit of the final girl. And then we're going to examine the final girl trope a little bit closer, a little bit later on. So even though a lot of people say Halloween was uh, what really invented the slasher film, they do say there's actually a predecessor to that. And a lot of people believe that Alfred Hitchcock's psycho was really the first slasher film. I mean, there wasn't really a final girl in that movie because, of course, spoilers for Psycho. If you haven't seen Psycho, Janet Lee's character, you know, gets murdered really early on in the movie by Norman Bates. And so I want to just see if anybody, if everybody agrees with that, that Psycho is kind of a predecessor to the slasher flick. Do you agree with that, Megan? Um. For me personally, I definitely feel it's like a film where the idea of like attacking people and using like slashing as a way to solve your problems makes it interesting in the aspect of like, yes, this is a slasher film, but it took a more realistic approach to it uh, compared to like the final girl kind of ending. I mean, there was still kind of the final where, you know, at the end, he 
uh, is caught and like he's blaming mother, like a figure that is causing this sort of behavior. So I always thought that was interesting about it. And I do find that it's a, uh, it comes prior to a lot of like Halloween being that one. Halloween just kind of finessed it in a way that I feel like Psycho kind of missed the mark on, but I still love Psycho regardless, just because it was super interesting. Yeah, and then really quickly, Megan, I think maybe your video having on, it, it keeps kind of stuttering a little bit. So I don't know if maybe it's better without video. I like seeing your face, but I don't know if without video might make the recording a little bit better. Alrighty. I'm sorry. Okay. It just kept stuttering and I'm just, I just, okay. just at risk of, I don't want to have any audio issues. So, yeah, um, no, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's. That's that's good feedback about about Psycho. Yeah, definitely. And then um, Rebecca. So Psycho, I used to think that I hated slasher movies. I I actually used to tell people like, oh, I'll watch scary movies, but I don't want to see the slasher movies. I don't think that they're very good. I think they're too violent. <laughs> so and I see that Aaron had the same attitude. I would actually say the film that really turned that around for me was uh, Scream. But I I hadn't considered Psycho to be a slasher film in that in that same sense because I also I mentioned in our Why We Love Horror episode that you know neither of my parents are really into the horror genre but my mom loved Alfred Hitchcock and so my mom always kind of took the the like these aren't horror movies these are suspense films that's a different category therefore this is this is higher art and more acceptable um but i do see i actually hadn't heard uh, until really recently that psycho would be considered sort of the proto slasher film but i think that it makes a lot of sense um also for those who who don't know and i think i mentioned this on one of our other podcasts uh also inspired by uh real life serial killer ed Gein who was also the inspiration for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and many other horror movie villains. But I actually think I take more umbrage with the idea that Halloween was the first real slasher film. And that's in part because I recently watched The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which, yes, I can see Aaron has seen it. This is one that's kind of been forgotten, but also based on a series of true crime murders in Texarkana back in 1946, 1947. Uh, it is actually very, very scary. I personally think that Friday the 13th, uh, no, not Friday the 13th. Yes, Friday the 13th too, where Jason appears, but he doesn't have the mask yet. He just has a bag with the one eye hole. I'm like, that entirely comes from Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Um, yep. I think I think that we've actually had slasher movies then in that sense for I, I'm not entirely sure that even Psycho is the first one. I think that we've always kind of been fascinated by this idea of serial killers and what could make somebody want to commit these acts that are so incredibly heinous to us. But I think that putting them on film that way, I think that's why this is a long way of me saying I think that these all grew out of that fascination with true crime and Alfred Hitchcock just may have been the first one to put it in a very popular film. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good, good way to say that. Yeah. And I, I saw the town that dreaded sundown um, last year. It was one, I was watching all these 
horror films that I'd never watched that were older and they were on this list of horror films that everybody must watch that are lesser known or that people don't talk about as much like the summer of 84 and a couple others. So yeah, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very much got um, kind of a, a, a 60s, 70s feel to it. And it's, 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 it's very, and that's a very, very sad real life story anyway but I do agree with you about um Jason's design in Friday the 13th part two yeah I and I don't I'm trying to remember if they say that in the Camp Crystal Lake memories documentary thing I can't remember if they comment on that or not um because they talk about you know the hockey mask of course and we're going to talk about Friday the 13th soon because you can't talk about slasher films and not talk about Friday the 13th (laughs) um so we'll definitely be discussing that but yeah, and then Sasha, what are your thoughts on Psycho? Um, so I'm not gonna lie, I was a little surprised to see Psycho on the list, just because for me, I Hitchcock is always like suspense thriller kind of psychological movies. Um, I don't put him in like the traditional horror genre. Don't get me wrong; I mean, The Birds is terrifying, but and Psycho <laughs> is terrifying. That is the one Hitchcock movie that my mom refused to let us rent. She was like, nope, I'm not watching The Birds. My mother's terrified of birds. And so she was like, nope, that one is forbidden. You guys can watch Psycho all you want. (laughs) Yeah, birds are bad news, man. Not okay. Um, So I can see why Psycho would get thrown in. Yeah, just because of the, is it because of the knife? Like, so they say just because of that scene in the shower. Spoiler alert. That and yeah, his methodology and the music and the reaction of the audience when the audience saw it and how, you know, I mean, I don't know if people know this, but Alfred Hitchcock said nobody would be admitted in late to the movie. Nope. You weren't allowed in um, after the movie started. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And of course, and that one really threw you for a loop because... And Scream brought this back, of course, but because you have the main, the character that you think is going to be the main character and the character you're going to be following dying, you know, quickly, you know, you have Janet Lee's character dying, you know, and you think that's going to be the character you're following. So that was a, that was a huge deal back then. That wasn't something you saw. And Scream, of course, did that again with Drew Barrymore's character. So, yeah. I think it's also some of the facet, like the fixation on the murder itself, because you certainly had plenty of murder in films prior to that point, but the, the stylization, the, the real fat, like focus that that's a big scene. It's a big part of the movie and everybody remembers the the music thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's where you, you get some of the idea of this as a proto slasher because I think that they mentioned in the movie, it's been a couple of years since I've seen Psycho, uh, that he has done this before. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So he, we don't, I don't know if we know how high his body count is, as that's also a, a part of the genre of, of slasher films. But he is not just a single, a one-time murderer. So. And, and it was a, Sorry. And it was a franchise. It became a franchise. You know, there was more than one. So there were a bunch of sequels. And yeah. And I know um, Anthony Perkins was very, very protective of the character. Um, and that's why he directed one of the sequels. Um, but yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know. Did anyone watch the show Bates Motel? Okay, I highly recommend that show. That show is so good. Um, and you can stream it on Netflix. And it's it's really, really good. Um, it's basically, it's in modern day, but it's basically telling the story of how Norman Bates became Norman Bates. Because you have his mother in it, played by the amazing, amazing Vera Farmiga, who I just think is an absolutely outstanding actress. And she was so amazing in it. And so it's and it's it's just a really, really good TV show. It's kind of pulpy. I just I highly recommend that one. So definitely, definitely check that one out. Okay, so and Halloween has already been mentioned a couple of times, so we're gonna talk about that. And Halloween, not only did it really invent, you know, the slasher flick as we know it now you know you have this one killer who you don't necessarily i mean i think with nightmare on elm street changed a little bit but you don't necessarily know why they're doing what they're doing you have you know it begins with a childhood a lot of these begin with a trauma uh where the killer is born from some kind of trauma with michael myers even though he was already he was created as trauma when he was a kid he you know, in the beginning scene, you watch him with his Halloween mask on and you watch him murdering his sister, you know, and of course the iconic scene of him standing there with the clown outfit, basically, or Joe, whatever, Jester, whatever kind of outfit it was supposed to be with the bloody knife standing there and his parents coming home and just standing there watching him. And as John Carpenter has said, he never wanted to give Michael Myers a reason that he was just pure evil. He was just supposed to be evil. And of course he escapes um, from the hospital that he is in, from the psychiatric hospital that he was in, and, you know, goes back to Haddonfield and, of course, stalks Laurie Strode is what it's mo- most, most bah, best known for. But it also gave us the final girl trope because Laurie Strode is the good girl of her group. She's the only girl that isn't going to be having sex. She's the only girl that... Well, she does smoke pot, though. I will say that, you know, she's not 100% squeaky clean and she is, um, you know, the most studious of them. She's the most responsible. She's going to go be babysitting and she ends up being the strong one. Um, and I, she's my, my personal favorite final girl. We did a poll about final girls and she won and Michael Myers actually won for, um, killers as well. So, and Freddy Krueger was second. Um, but yeah, so that, that made me happy too. So she created, so John Carpenter without even really, I think he didn't really mean to necessarily create this trope, but he created the trope of the good girl will survive the girls that have sex won't. And we'll get into more of that, examining the sexuality and stuff like that. But so this movie really, really was a groundbreaker. And as I've mentioned before, this is my absolute all-time favorite horror movie. Every year, I watch it every year at least once. Um, While I don't necessarily like a lot of the sequels, I like some of them more than others. And I have never seen Halloween 3, which I know I should, but of course it doesn't have anything to do with the other ones, but I never have, I've never seen it. Um, And I really love the new Halloweens, not Rob Zombies, which we can talk about those two if we want to, but the new Halloween that came out and there's going to be two other ones. I was hoping, you know, they pushed them back because of Corona. But um, yeah, so anyway, so let's get, let's discuss Halloween a little bit. What are your thoughts on Halloween, Megan? Oh, gosh. Um, So 
funny story with Halloween. Um, my parents really liked it growing up when I was little, so they would always put it on. Um, it wasn't until I was three years old that I understood that uh, it was killing that was happening. And I just remember I screamed bloody murder and I would not watch the film after that for a long time. Um, but I do think those experiences kind of shaped uh, how I approached like my life to a certain degree, just because like it's something I did regularly watch because it's just it's so such a basic kind of concept of you know this girl living in a town and then uh this crazy killer coming back to his hometown to you know fulfill this need that he has and no real explanation for it whatever and she just gets caught in the middle of it and i think as women it's something we can all relate to in that way maybe not to the extent she did but it was something that it always inspired me to always keep trying in my life. And I think this is why like my personal love for horror films came about is because it always gave me the ability to want to fight for things. But I don't know, there's just so much about Halloween that it inspires me, but it also shakes me to my core because that could happen to anyone. And it's just wild with how something so simple could have such a big impact on so many people. Yeah, yeah, and the world of cinema in general. I mean, yeah, and I mean, it was made for, like, nothing, and it was a total, total indie movie, really. Um, Yeah, yeah. And, Rebecca, your thoughts on Halloween? I actually will kind of push back a little bit on the idea that it – this film created the final girl. I think if you actually go back to Psycho, you could make an argument that Leela Crane, who is Marion Crane, Janet Lee's sister, who does survive at the end of the movie, even though Norman Bates is like appears and is going to murder her. Like he's there with the knife in the dress. Um, but she, unlike her sister, is a good girl. Her sister at the beginning of the movie, Marion Crane is shown stealing money from her boss she's having an affair with i think he's a married man uh i can't remember but yeah so clearly once again like she is the immoral woman who ultimately gets gets punished uh but i didn't um i didn't see halloween until much later into my adulthood i think it was really only Eight years ago, maybe, that I finally saw Halloween. I know. See, this is what I say when I'm like, I thought for a long time I didn't like slasher movies. So I have been spending a lot of my adult life making up for all of the movies that I was too chicken to watch (laughs) as as a young adult. (laughs) Or that I thought I wouldn't like. And I think that there's a lot of artistry to the movie. I think it's actually beautifully shot. I rewatched it this week in preparation for this episode. Uh, and I do have a much greater appreciation, I think, for Laurie than I did the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I was sort of like, what is the deal? Does everybody think that Laurie's like such a big deal? Like, this is, this is BS. Um, however, I did pick up on something, especially thinking about the final girl trope and this idea that Megan brought up, which I think is a great point. Uh, these is very good like strong female role models to have or strong female characters that get displayed in horror in a way that they don't in others some other genres the movie came out in 1978 Lori is literally trapped in a closet 
being chased by Michael Myers, is broken through the door. What does she defend herself with? A unfurled wire hanger to poke him in the eye. So for those who are paying attention, Roe versus Wade passed in 1973. What does our like virginal good girl manage to save herself from the psycho man who is going to murder her with freaking coat hanger? I rest my case. Feminist icon Lori Strode, you win. <laughs> I I have never ever thought of that before. So that's that's really interesting. But yeah, I've never ever thought about that. I wonder if Deborah Hill um, thought about that. So yeah, that's that's really that's interesting. Um, Sasha, your thoughts on Halloween? I don't know how I follow Rebecca and her crazy feminist logic path that she just <laughs> let us down. Like I. I like Halloween. It's a great slasher movie. Like, I, I'm going to sound stupid no matter what I say. <laughs> um, no, I... Halloween is one of my favorites. I do I do love it. I've always loved it. Um, it's... I, for me, much like Psycho, it's the music, right? It's once you hear those notes and you're like, somebody's dead. Somebody's going to die. Like... I want that in real life. So, you know, like, in my 20s, I needed that. Like, the scary music, so it would be like, that's a bad guy, stay away from him. You know? Um, But I, yeah, Halloween for me is just, it's one of those iconic, seasonal, like, it it gets you ready for for the spooky. um, Compared to the other ones, and I know that we'll talk about the rest of the big kind of ones that are there but that one just always will have a place in my heart just because of you know how classic and even now I mean it's very dated and you watch it and you're like oh those pants oh those pants oh that shirt oh what are you wearing you know and it's cringy like that but it's just so ah yeah 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 well there's some fashion choices well, yeah, <laughs> it is the seventies. Again, so. I think I remember, like in my recent rewatch, Lori's the only one wearing a skirt. When like the three friends initially are seen on screen together, which I think is also supposed to be indication that she's like the good girl. She's not. <laughs> she's not wearing pants. <laughs> one one, one thing we haven't said: the good girl. <laughs> One one thing we haven't said yet about about Laurie Strode is, is the amazing Jamie Lee Curtis. And we have to say, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom was Janet Lee. So it has to be said, because Jamie Lee Curtis got no was known as the original Scream Queen, really. Um, even though, you know, she said, you know, her she credits her mom with some of it. And her mom, of course, made an appearance in Halloween H2O as well. So I just want to make sure we give Jamie Lee Curtis a shout out and also mention that. Um, so yeah, for, for me, like I've said, um, we're going to actually discuss Halloween in depth. Like we're going to do a whole episode on Halloween and the series um, and, you know, all the sequels, everything like that. Um, the reimagining by Rob Zombie as well. We will cover that because I have lots to say on that. And we're going to do that that next year. Um, but yeah, like I said, this is my all time favorite. It wasn't my all time favorite that for, for a long time, it was actually nightmare on Elm street, 
But the older I got, um, this one to me, while I think Nightmare on Elm Street is really brilliant and Wes Craven is a genius, Halloween to me has a different maturity level to it in a way. Um, And it, I don't know, it has more meaning, I think, as you grow older, at least for me. I wrote a whole paper about Halloween in film school, um, putting it with the hero's journey. And so analyzing it even deeper, I got more meaning from it, which I know some people may say, this is just a silly slasher film. How can you get meaning from it? But it really is this person who, you know, we've said Lori is innocent. But she's also someone who doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself. She lets her friends kind of walk all over her. Um, She, you know, likes a boy and she's afraid to do anything about it because she doesn't have that confidence. She doesn't have that strength. And I think with this movie, it's all about her finding that and finding a way to fight back and to stand up um, and to be like, no, I'm not going to let this madman walk all over me or kill me. And I think you really see it. And we'll talk about this more when we actually do the episode. You really see it in David Gordon Green's movies. Um, You see what became of Laurie. And that's why I love that. I think those movies are, well, movie. I'm sorry. I haven't seen the sequels yet, but I think that movie is so good because, because of that, because you get to see the evolution of Laurie, you get to see the evolution of what would happen to a final girl, If she survived, because usually, you know, we'll talk about this, they don't survive in the sequels. Um, And of course, in the ones that came out before, she does end up dying. Um, But yeah, I I think that's what's so great about her character is, yeah, she's innocent, but she's also really strong. She's a very, very strong character. She's very smart. She's very loving and caring. She's a great um, protector. She's protecting these kids. She's babysitting. Um, and the other thing I want to mention about Halloween is Halloween really doesn't have much blood at all in it. It's it's really not a bloody movie. Um, for a movie that is a slasher flick, it's really not a, a blood and gore fest, you know. Um, So I I want to point that out. And I also want to just quickly, and then we'll get into the 80s and the really rise of the slasher film. Um, But I want to point out, and this was brought up in an article I read, that there is also an argument to be made that um, Sally from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out in 1974, was actually a really it was actually a first example of a final girl as well, because she's, of course, the only one that survives. She's changed in the end. I mean, you see her laughing hysterically in the back of the truck. I personally can never watch that movie again. I watched it last year for the first time, and I went, this is the most miserable experience. It was one of those, like, when I watched the movie Martyrs, and there's been a couple others where I'm like, oh, my, and The Exorcist. I'm like, I cannot put myself through this again. But I just wanted to mention that because that was in an article I was reading. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. She was kind of a final girl. I don't think she was as developed as Lori, but she was definitely a, a, could be considered a fa- final girl for sure. Um, I consider I her a final girl. Yeah. And I actually think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, I also only saw it last year because it finally arrived on streaming platforms. Uh, and I actually... I I actually do want to 
watch it again and probably will watch it many more times because I think that it's actually one of the most beautifully shot films, period. But horror films, certainly. Like, there was so much of that movie that I was watching it. And again, I had also gone to film school and I was like, God, that shot's gorgeous. It's a little macabre with the skulls in it. But it's beautiful. That's lit amazing. Look at that blue sky. Look at look at the psycho Leatherface swinging his <laughs> axe. Like, not his axe, swinging his chainsaw in the sunset. I'm like, I, I wish I could make a shot that that's, that's that pretty. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say I I will I will put my money on her as the as Sally as the original final girl in in that in the sense of what we think of the final girl is now I guess that I think Lila Crane kind of gets some of that. Yeah, well, and Sally, I don't know if she, I don't know if Sally was really developed as an innocent either, as like a really really total innocent, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, like I don't I think said, any of them were really innocents. Yeah, all. yeah. So she's. <laughs> So she's not completely in that trope of like the girl that didn't have that hasn't had sex yet or the girl that doesn't, you know, blow off her studies, that kind of thing. Um, but yes, I think she definitely is in that. And and yes, it's a beautifully shot movie. Um, it was just so relentless to me and so like I could almost smell it. Um, I know when they shot it, they that was another one that they had no budget and they were shooting in Texas in the summer and it was miserable and they were using a real chainsaw by the way. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. So yeah, that was a really, um, a really, um, yeah. So that was, sorry, that was definitely a um, ragtag team of people, just filmmakers just getting together to make this thing that ended up becoming a classic, of course. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a well-made movie. I just don't want to experience it again. So now, really, I think the slasher flick came into its own in the 80s. I think the 80s is really known for that. Um, and, you know, you had a lot of people criticizing that, a lot of critics talking about that. And I think really the big one, of course, that everybody thinks of when they think of a slasher flick, I think even before they think of Halloween even Nightmare on Elm Street, I honestly think the first one that comes to mind is Friday the 13th. And this is why, and I'll get into it more, but this is why I said I don't like slasher flicks. Because I was like, Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street are not slasher flicks, but they are. But in my mind, I was like, no, they're not, because they're not as devoid of stuff as Friday the 13th is in my mind. But Friday the 13th really was that it was also another one that was pretty independently made. Um, And of course, to spoil the first Friday the 13th, the first Friday the 13th does not have Jason as the killer. Jason's mom is the killer. So it has a big twist. Friday the 13th also has a final girl. Friday the 13th also had Kevin Bacon and his infamous death scene. Um, But I want to talk about Friday the 13th in general and what your thoughts are on Jason, who becomes the killer in uh, part two. Megan. (laughs) Hi. Um, Yeah, Friday the 13th has always fascinated me just because like a lot of people, I I knew whether or not they were horror film fans or like slasher film fans based on that revelation of knowing that the mother was the original killer doing all of this and then he just out of nowhere comes out and he starts doing this as well 
Um, because a lot of people just didn't know that. I know a lot of people who've seen the 2009 one versus the older one. And I don't know. It was just, there's something about those films that, like, invoke this sort of, like, oh, maybe there is a deeper meaning behind a lot of this, uh, the child trauma, all this crazy kind of, like, psychological development stuff, which I like, but um, it's also something that I always wonder is, like, are we going to continually use horror as a trope of if you suffer from trauma, are you going to fall into this category of being someone that will cause evil because of that trauma? Um, and that was a lo- something I struggled with a long time with slasher films is that it kind of promoted that. However, like looking back on that and even now as I've gone through life, Friday the 13th has done a lot to just, you know, take cinema to new levels as well as do new shots and just new ways of thinking about horror. And at the end of the day, it, it's not real. And I just, those films were good they weren't my favorites but I love the concept of the costume and it's very just stand out on its own like you could spot that across the room or just know when someone like really loves that kind of thing with the hockey mask and I don't know it's just it's it's very iconic it's a memorable one for me but it wasn't my favorite yeah and Rebecca I kind of agree actually so uh Friday the 13th was never my favorite. I I think I've seen part of the second one. I've seen the the original, the first one a few times. Um I think there are things that I really appreciate about it. Like I this was this was uh probably the point where I realized that oh, it is kind of fun to see the high body count of slasher films, which I know Sasha mentioned a few episodes ago. It's part of the appeal of the genre. Uh I also kind of appreciated some of the creativity in the kills i think that's where we start getting some of that although again if you want to go back to a film i mentioned earlier town the dreaded sundown has the killer stab somebody with a knife that he tapes to the end of her trombone so i haven't seen that one come back around in in slasher films bring back the trombone hashtag bring back the trombone (laughs) but i do think that this is i i like your point megan that this this does start to get to the idea that trauma makes you trauma can make you a psychopath basically um although i i do like the twist at the end and i think that was one of the things that i actually really found appealing about it because i never was really drawn to jason as a killer i found uh i found michael myers a little bit more enigmatic i my personal favorite of the slasher killers of the classic slasher killers is freddy krueger i think freddy krueger has a lot of personality (laughs) And I think that's why I am more drawn to to Freddy as opposed to Jason. But I did, I liked the idea that this was like, there was something that I found really appealing actually about this idea that the mother is actually the one killing these counselors, that it's, she's taken it as this like moral panic to a an extreme as a result of what happened to her own child. But it's also the, where we start getting the idea that sex is going to lead to you getting killed. If immorality leads to you getting killed. I think that a lot of horror films in general have always been morality tales. Uh, I think that's kind of what's appealing about them. 
uh, because throughout each generation, there's different things that are pegged as like the bad behavior that is trying to be corrected. But you also have to remember this is 1980. This is, we're just getting to the start of the AIDS epidemic in the United States. So sex literally was something that could kill you. And it's also sort of the conservative beginning of like the Reagan era backlash to the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. We're like, no, 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 no. We've got to take all of that. We've got to push it back down. <laughs> and this is a great, like the slasher film became a great vehicle as sort of a moral tale to illustrate exactly those fears within our country. And that's how, that's the, that's the place that I give Friday the 13th personally. But yeah, it's never been one of my favorites. Yeah, and you could also you could you could also say it's also, um, and I think they even mentioned this on the Crystal Lake thing, but it's also a pushback against the '60s and free love in the '60s. So it's also a pushback against that. You could also look at that. So, um, Sasha, what are your thoughts on Friday the Thirteenth and Jason Voorhees in general? So I'm going to deviate from the rest of you, and I am all about the body count. I'm all about the creative kills. I'm all more splatter, more splatter more splatter. Give me all the splatter. I want all the splatter all the time. Like, give it to me. It's what I want. Um, I do, I, Friday the 13th is, it, I would not put it in my favorites. Like, I think I've only seen the first six. They've got, what, like 24 of them now? I mean, it gets a little ridiculous at some point, but man, let me tell you, those first, like, five they, the kills get more and more ridiculous each movie, and I am here for it. I love it. Because it's so above and beyond. But I like that campy, bad, B-rated vibe from my horror movies. And this one fits the bill. Other than the first one. The first one I know is, like, the whole thing. But after that, once we have Jason, it's on. And like I said in the We Love Horror, it's that... That sleeping bag against the tree that leaves the bloody smiley face <laughs> is still one of my all-time favorite horror movie moments in all horror movies. It's so ridiculous. Really? Come on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, you definitely have to watch that Camp Crystal Lake thing because they talk about that scene a lot. <laughs> it's the best. Like, uh, for real. Come on, people. Who thinks of it? Who sat in the writer's room and went, okay, listen, listen. I have an idea. We're going to put somebody in a sleeping bag, <laughs> smash them against a tree. Like, there are no bad ideas. Nobody went, really? That seems a little cheesy. Somebody approved that. More than one person. They all went, we're in. Let's do it. I love that. Yeah, very. There are quite a few of those in within that um, within the franchise. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about. We're going to be next year just as a little preview. We're going to be talking about the Halloween series, Friday the Thirteenth series, Nightmare on Elm Street series, and we're also going to be discussing Scream because I wanted to do one that was. I guess that's not considered modern anymore, even though there's a new Scream coming out. But I wanted to do one that was out of the eighties, um, that wasn't in the eighties. I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And and for me, you know, I I always had a real issue with Friday the 13th for a long time. Now I have more fun watching them than I did before. Uh, my issue was always, and we'll get into this in a second here, 
Um, I always felt it was very, uh, there was so much exploitation of women in it um, that it really kind of bothered me and it felt different than the exploitation in say Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know. There was something different about it uh, that bothered me when I was younger. It doesn't bother me as much now for some reason. Um, I kind of set that aside and I kind of have fun with, with them for the most part. I haven't seen every single one. Um, I do actually like uh, Friday the 13th too a lot because I love, love the final girl on Friday the 13th too. I will say that. And I do, and I think the first one is classic because of having that twist, because of having a, a woman be the killer. And I know the actress Betsy Palmer, who played her, thought this was the most ridiculous movie in the world that she ever made. And I don't think she really. Uh, uh, liked it at all or enjoyed making it to be honest um so i will put that out there because she's like i am a actress why am i doing this movie that was her thought her feeling on it um but she was really good she was really really creepy um you know she was very very creepy i thought in the movie and um yeah and i just and of course to me the most memorable kill from there like i said is kevin bacon and his his murder in that so yeah yeah and so i want to talk about that because that's the thing that slashers get criticized for a lot is they have been said to be very misogynistic um they have been said to be created. I know in the 80s, they got a lot of pushback for this. Uh, people saying they were just created so um, men could get off on watching naked women and then watching them get slaughtered and killed. And there's a lot of examples of that happening in movies, um, in slasher flicks in the 80s, of course. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Megan? Um. That was actually one of my big pushbacks with Friday the 13th as well. Um, I was always kind of like, why is it that these women are being brutally murdered like this? Um, I I don't know. With slasher films, I feel like it's you, uh, the people who made it made it that way because, you know, they wanted to create this very shocking material and that would be shocking in that way. However, I always think of the implication it could have on people who are susceptible to that kind of stuff watching it. And I'm like, well, maybe this isn't so good. But at the same time, like people around them should educate them to be aware, like, you know, this is for cinema purposes, not just for you to go in and act on these things, because that's not appropriate. Like consequences will follow with that. Uh, I, I don't know, because even though Friday the 13th and a lot of these, like, they exploit women to a certain degree, that makes me uncomfortable. I think that's why I enjoyed Halloween the most, is just because even the, the final girl trope and even seeing the later Halloween movie that came out, seeing how she developed into a more cynical kind of rigid kind of woman in comparison who is just fearful and very protective. Well, still fearful, but not aware that she's still fearful. Um, It's just, it's something that it's nice to see that we're aware, but I also think slasher films bring out a point in society of, you know, like women aren't protected and they should be protected. And I'm kind of hoping with this exploitation and just sort of idea that we can somehow connect these ideas to create more movies of there is a slasher film. I wouldn't mind seeing a slasher film where, you know, the female is like the main killer and she just kind of goes after all these men. Like that would be interesting for me to see. Um, It'd be interesting to just see more 
creative stuff with the slasher films. And I feel like a lot of them do that now. They just do more creative kills. They don't look on exploiting women as much anymore. They still do, but it's not nearly as misogynistic. And I think it's just the change in societal need. But we'll have to see how things go within like the next 10 years or so or whenever we can see new movies emerge from it. Yeah. Did you um, see Scream 4? I did. And I think it's a start (laughs) that we need to keep pushing forward with this idea and just kind of have fun with it. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, cinema is just meant to be a creative experience. And I'm sure there's going to be someone out there that's holding on to their screenplay or whatever it is in their little hands right now that has a brilliant idea. And I want to see those (laughs) ideas come forth. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I agree with you. You should also watch the movie, um, which this is not a slasher flick at all, but uh, when you said the, the female being the, um, the killer, this isn't really a spoiler at all, but because she's the antagonist, but she's also the main character, you should see the movie May. It's a very interesting movie about, about women too, but I would highly recommend that one if you haven't seen it yet, Megan. I will check that out. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, and then, um, Rebecca, your thoughts on this? Oh, I I do agree. I think that it is something that turned me off from, or prevented me from wanting to watch a lot of slasher films early on was that, oh, it's basically it's just a lot of TNA and then blood. The I mean, if you're going to have a lot of gratuitous murders on screen, I think a lot of filmmakers also figured we're marketing these to men, which shame on them. So we may as well, we're going to get an R rating, you know, or anyway, so we may as well put it in a lot of boobs. <laughs> but I actually, I think the final girl is used. The final girl trope is what's really saved a lot of the genre for me. And I think to me, it's women are often the victims in these films, but they're also often the last survivors and they're often the heroes. And you mentioned that there's a large element of the hero's journey, or at least like the hero triumphing. Uh, One of my favorite slasher films, I think is one of the most creative ones that I've seen, certainly in recent years, that really goes into depth about a lot of these tropes in horror films is the Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which, Aaron, I see you nodding. I don't know if you've seen it, Sasha, or you, Megan, but highly recommend it. It's It kind of defined for me a lot of the reasons why I was still drawn to these movies, even though, especially in the 80s films, and I would say even the, some of the proto-70s slasher movies, there is a lot of misogyny. There is a lot of violence against women. And in Behind the Mask, Leslie Vernon, who is the serial killer who is starring in a documentary about his own rise as a serial killer who exists in the same universe as Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. He wants to be like these famous serial killers. He said that the purpose, part of his purpose in existing as a serial killer is because you take He's like, my goal is that I have chosen this woman who I'm going to stalk and terrify, and she needs to gain the strength to be the only one that defeats me. And I'm like, yes, that's it. 
like women are often the victims in these movies, but they're also often the heroes. And I think there is a big misogynist root to that, which is that women are weak and therefore they are going to be the easy prey. But you also get to turn that around by making sure that you have this character who goes from being innocent or considered weaker or naive to be the one who can defeat the ultimate evil at the end. And there's something about that idea that I am really drawn to. And I think that there were a couple of films that are literally titled the final girl (laughs) that also comment on the genre. (laughs) One called the final girls, which is more of a comedy slash satire. And it is, it is delightful. I highly recommend it, but there was a slightly more serious film that came out about the same time with Abigail Breslin, I believe called the final girl Mm -hmm. in which a girl has trained her entire life to take down a group of mad serial killer men as the final girl. Like she's like, Nope, I have been training. I am ready to slash their heads off from behind a tree. They won't fool me. So I, I think that there's actually something very feminist and empowering about a lot of these films, which may have grown out that started, I think as a misogyny, uh, a misogynistic trope, but I think that, think that there's actually something very appealing about it. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And um, the final girls, I want to echo that because even though it is a satire and it is kind of a comedy, there is actually um, a very, there's, it's, it's actually kind of touching. Um, in a lot of ways too, it's kind of emotional. So I, I do, I recommend that one. I think that's, that's a really, really good one. Um, and then Sasha. Um, so I agree with a lot of what Rebecca had said, you know, it, a lot of those have, it's all TNA, you know, my one big ongoing thing every time I watch a horror movie is like, okay, which girl is going to run up the stairs without a bra? Because in some horror movies... In heels. In heels. And a short skirt. And we have to run up the stairs. No bra. Who? Let's be real, ladies. None of us are running on stairs without a bra. It's just not going to happen. Not a nope. single one of us. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we're holding the tatas. Because that's no fun. Nobody wants to run. It's not fun. Um, Michael so, Myers yeah, is definitely going to catch you if you let your boobs slap yourself in the face while you're trying to run away from him. <laughs> it's very distracting. You have to, it's ridiculous. Um, so I do, there is the problem of all of that, you know, and that it's predominantly, you know, female victims. There's always the punishment for the bad girls or the sin girls or the you know, the ones who are walking the line. It's like, come on, get over it. Um, So there's a lot of that. But I do agree with the final girl. Like, it is ultimately a female that survives and comes through in the end. Even if there's other men there, they all get killed. You know, it's not... Including the big strong jocks. Yeah, well, they should be the first ones to go. Like, let's be real. You you think you've got it, and then you go and do something, and it's like, really? All those muscles really helped you, huh? Because you got to outsmart them, you know? you got to outsmart these killers, because they are... That's their whole purpose. 
So I do agree um, that the final girl kind of spins it and keeps it. It's the redeeming quality of it. You know, I don't want to watch slasher movie just for the, like, I love the body count, but there has to be some resolution and victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's um, what makes them enjoyable is the fact that even though there is stuff in there that really could be considered misogyny, um, a lot of women do like these movies. So it's, I mean, we're on here. We like these movies. So it's not like this is only men that, that it appeals to. And I think it's because women are victorious in these movies and almost every single one, it is the woman who is the victor and granted usually in the very next sequel, she gets murdered right away, but she's still the victor. And I'm talking about like in the Friday the 13th movies and also in nightmare on Elm street. I mean, it happens a lot. It's that, it's that thing that you will see um, over and over again. But you know, I, I want to, point out a movie that I had this is the first time I'd watched it. I'd seen one of the remakes the one that Carrie Fisher was in but I watched Black Christmas for the first time and I don't know if everybody's seen Black Christmas from the 70s um, and you know all my thoughts on this movie were that it was probably going to be very bloody very gory you know it's all about around Christmas time a guy stalking these girls at, in a sorority so you're thinking okay this is going to be a total you know TNA and just your typical slasher flick but I had heard so many people rave about it that I watched it and in this movie there's also very little gore really and it's so focused on developing these women and these characters um, that even though a lot of them get murdered there's this empowerment in them. There's this whole B storyline with really the girl who ends up being sort of the final girl who is struggling with the fact that she's pregnant and her boyfriend really wants her to keep it and she doesn't want to keep it. And this, I mean, this was in the seventies, late seventies, I believe was when that came out. And that's a very, very, very interesting storyline to have in there and to have her be like, you know, this is my body and him basically shaming her for this. So it's it's a very, very interesting movie. I don't know if every is, has anybody else on the panel seen this movie. Wow, I'm kind of surprised that no one else has seen this movie. Um, yeah, and I guess there was another one that just came out last year that was updated and was made by women, and it's supposed to be awful. I haven't watched it, but it's supposed to be. But I recommend that one because that's just a different kind of slasher flick in a way because it's there's so much female power in there and so many different kind of women. And, you know, the final girl really she is pretty much the final girl is pregnant so it's not the same kind of thing it's 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 a very it's a very interesting movie i don't know i i recommend that one um and then i'm gonna send megan i'm gonna send you this article i just found that lists um 20 movies where the killer is a woman so i'm gonna 20 slasher movies with women as the killer so i'll i'll have to send that to you and of course they list friday the 13th um you can't not list Friday the 13th. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the exploitation is something that um, you struggle with a lot. I, I think you can struggle with a lot with these. But I think, honestly, I, I think it balances itself off with 
out, excuse me, with having women being stronger in these. There, We're going to talk about a couple instances where there's a final guy, but it's usually the girl and having her be so um, empowered and so powerful and smart, um, you know, and outwitting this, this killer that basically has taken down all these people and all these men and has taken down all these men. That's the other thing I think that makes it so powerful. Um, and then we'll, of course, talk about we're going to coming up, we're going to be talking about um, torture porn, because I think torture porn kind of takes away that strength that was there before um, and takes the exploitation to level 10,000. So we're going to talk about that in a minute here, too. But I want to um, move on here to um, we've already sort of covered the body count, so we're not going to cover that too much. But I want to move on to Nightmare on Elm Street, because I think what Nightmare on Elm Street did was, you know, you had before this, you had Jason and you had Michael and even some killers and some of the other ones like um, Slumber Party Massacre and um, not really Sleepaway Camp. But in some other ones, you had like the killer basically be someone who doesn't really speak, who you don't really know them. They don't have much of a personality. They're just like the killer. Um, but then with Nightmare on Elm Street, you had Freddy Krueger, who, while in the first one, he didn't talk that much. He still had a personality. And then he grew into basically a comedian. I mean, honestly, he became a comic character. And he became the character that people they're root for. There's this clip out there where there's a Nickelodeon kids show. And Robert England is on there. And he's basically playing like Freddy Krueger, you know. And I know when I was growing up as a kid, we watched these and we'd laugh at some parts. And, you know, there might be some troublesome side to that when you really look at it. And um, so I want to talk about that, about Freddy Krueger and kind of turning the serial killer into comic relief in a way. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Megan? Yeah, um, I will say with Nightmare on Elm Street, it was kind of refreshing when I would watch that one in comparison to some of the other ones. Because I, I don't get me wrong, like I love me a good broody kind of killer who's just out here killing in the masses and having fun in his own weirdo way, I guess. But uh, there's something about Freddy Krueger that just always caught my attention just because he was super witty and he also would mess with them mentally, which was different. And I realized I kind of like that. I was like, oh, this is a different take on slasher. So I've never experienced really kind of like mess with my mind, like having them kind of go to my thought process and how I think things and sort of just changing the element on what fear can be. It doesn't have to be just physical. It can be mental. And I thought that was really telling with Freddy. He actually, for me, I whenever I think of Freddy, there's him and then I think of Chucky. Because even though, like, I, I don't really consider Chucky, like, a full-on slasher film, but it's this little doll. I mean, he kills people. It's funny to me. And I know it shouldn't be funny, but it is. And <laughs> he has the same sort of wit and kind of attitude. He's just a lot more violent. And it was nice seeing that sort of flood of new kind of movies messing with people mentally, too. And those are the t those are my favorite kind of slasher uh, movies. The ones that yeah, there's the physical aspect, but then it's the mental kind of like brain boggle that really gets me. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, and and you know when you think about it, this is a guy who 
really, he he was a child molester. I mean, <laughs> he was not like that's what's so bizarre about it when you think about it. I mean, originally that's what he was originally supposed to be. They kind of toned that down, but you knew that that's what he was. So I mean, he killed children, and yet you still had him be like this, you know, comedian. But yeah, it was. It was it's very interesting. Um, Rebecca, I know you said Freddy Krueger is your favorite of them. So what are your thoughts on this? He is. Um, and I haven't seen very many of the um, Friday, not Friday, many of the uh, Nightmare sequels. I've seen the second one, which has a, a special place in my heart because I think it's, it is noted as the gayest horror film to <laughs> ever be made. Uh, and the documentary Scream Queen is a great, uh, great breakdown of that. But I think it's. Be, I think it, I agree with Megan. I think part of what drew me to Freddy Krueger in the first place uh, is the idea that he was in some ways so much more dangerous than because he he was a psychological uh, stalker. <laughs> That's it's like the the idea that he's only going to attack you when you're asleep in your dreams at the point where much like uh, you know Psycho in the shower. Like the point where you are the most vulnerable, not just being alone and just and the fact that it's at night, the way that Jason or Michael Myers is typically shown to be stalking their victims, but that this is something that you cannot avoid. And they they show this in the movies. You can't avoid falling asleep forever. And he is going to that is the point where you are vulnerable and that is the point where you get attacked. Um I think that I, I yeah, I, I I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, shit, he's supposed to be a child molester? <laughs> child molester and child murderer? This is way worse than, than Michael Myers, who stabbed his sister for having sex while she was supposed to be watching him or something. But I, I also, like, I like the fact that he is very vampy. I'd actually seen a lot of analyses when I was in film school that saying that Freddy Krueger was always appealing to the gay community because he was kind of a drag queen <laughs> in that sense. There's something very vampy about him. Like you said, later, later in the movies, he becomes kind of a comedian. He's very witty. Like a lot of the sort of toss off lines that you expect that we've come to expect, like the witticisms from our, our serial killers in, in slasher films, I think will often come back to Freddy. Uh, but Nancy is a, was my favorite final girl. And I think it, I think the reason that I, I like her more than, than Lori or sorry, I am forgetting the girl from Friday the 13th. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why she was my, my favorite for so long and still is one of my favorites is because she really takes the initiative that she is going to take down Freddy. It is not simply a matter of survival. It is, this person is attacking the rest of my community and he's tried to attack me and he's killed my boyfriend. And she's like, screw it. I am going into the dreams and I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it's not merely a matter of survival. Now we are on the attack. Go Nancy. Yeah, she's, she's great. Nancy is Nancy is great. And like I mentioned before, I got to meet her in February. So I mean, or I got to meet Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. So yeah, she's, she's, I'm so jealous. She's so, so. <laughs> yeah. And then Sasha, your thoughts on Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street. 
So I have a very distinct memory of being in high school one October and we watched like five of them. Like we just started and we went straight through. And this was when you had to take movies back to a video store, VHSs to a video store. So I'm dating myself here. Um, And I very clearly remember driving to the video store and I couldn't tell if I was awake or asleep. I couldn't tell if it was real or not from watching five Nightmare on Elm Streets back to back because it's all like Rebecca said, that's the most terrifying part about him is that it's in your sleep. Like the one place where you're supposed to be safe while you're unconscious and you're not because he can get in no matter, it doesn't matter where you are. It makes no difference what safety features you have around you. He gets in through the dreams. And so that is, you know, like Megan said too, it's the psychological piece of it. Um, But again, you know, I, the, the kills are just amazing. Like they're so, I'm all about the corny kill. Like, come on. Um, You know, sucked into a waterbed. Who gets sucked into a waterbed? Really? Um, you know, the, the head through the TV. The blood from that is amazing. Yeah. 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 All of those things. Um, I actually, when they started to make him way more comedic and those kind of like one-liner things, um, I really enjoy it. Because again, it's so B-rated and cheesy. And that that's my cup of tea, folks. <laughs> Incidentally, Robert, I mentioned Behind the Mask, Rise of Leslie Vernon earlier. Robert Englund has a guest appearance in that movie. As a Is this movie perchance on, oh, say, Shudder? I don't know if it, I I don't know if it, it is. is on Shudder. It is on Shudder? Because I know it was a while ago. It is. it was still there. Yeah. It might I just want you to know, the three be- movies, or the three things I wrote down to watch, all start with B. Bates Motel, <laughs> Behind the Mask, and Black Christmas. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> That's funny. It's all yeah. in your head, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, like I said in the beginning, Nightmare on Elm Street was my favorite horror movie for a long time, and Freddy Krueger was my favorite for a long time. And then as I got older, Halloween took over that spot. But I, Nightmare on Elm Street is my second favorite horror movie, the first one. Um, and Wes Craven and John Carpenter are my two favorite horror filmmakers. I'm still so sad that we don't have Wes Craven anymore. Um, but about about Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger, I have seen all of them numerous times, except for the second one. I will say I don't have a soft spot for the second one. I have a soft spot for the documentary about the second one. But the second one is one I always skipped and rewatches. I just recently rewatched the Nightmare series because it was on HBO Max for a while. Sadly, they have gotten rid of it. And I'm very angry about this, HBO Max. Um, but they had every single one on there. And including they had uh, Freddy versus Jason as well. So I watched each one. Um, and, you know, I have my favorites. Uh, of course, the first one is my favorite. My second favorite is Wes Craven's New Nightmare because I think it kind of uh, curves around and goes back to making Freddy scary again because I think that kind of got lost along the way. And while I love the sequels, except for the second one, just like you, Sasha, and the la- and Freddy's Dead. I thought Freddy's Dead was awful. But 
I do like the sequels because I ended up liking the character so much, the character of Freddy Krueger so much, which is such a weird thing, I guess, to say. But he became so entertaining. And I think the big reason he did is because you had Robert England playing him. And Robert England is such a gifted, talented actor. I mean, this is a classically trained actor. This is a guy who was doing Shakespeare. And I know Tanya on one of our episodes mentioned that her friend who did who does makeup. I believe she was a makeup artist. I believe that's what she said, said that the, one of the nicest people she's ever met is Robert England. And you can kind of get that. And I think that's the thing about Robert England is he's so nice in real life that I think that's why he's so adept at playing killers. And he's sort of made his career out of horror and he embraced it so much and he didn't turn his nose up at it. And I think that's what makes him so special um, as an actor. And I think that's what makes Freddy Krueger so special as well. Um, and so I just really want to focus, I just wanted to focus on that for a second because, um, that's, what's so different with him, I think, as opposed to the others. I mean, yes, you've had some of the same actors play Jason in the past and stuff, but it's just so different with Freddie because Freddie has so much more of a personality. And of course he ended up hosting, I don't know if everybody watched that TV show that was on, um, that he would host and there'd be different, you know, horror things that would it was a horror anthology series that was on um i was really into that and i'll just shout out that my other favorites of the sequels though is i love the third and the fourth one i think those are really really good in the in the sequel department so yeah and i just i just think they're clever and yeah the dream part that's what makes them scary i still think the first one is really really terrifying i think the first one you know, with the body bag scene in the hallway is still one of the scariest that scares scenes me. ever. Jesus, yeah. It's so scary. It's so still terrifying. Does. Yeah. And Freddie doesn't say much in that first one. He doesn't say much at all. So, and of course, I don't know if everybody knows how Wes Craven came up with this, but it was a combination of a couple things. Um, he had read stories of kids dying in their sleep, just dying in their sleep. And they had been trying not to go to sleep and then they just died. Um, and then also the character of Freddie was designed from a creepy old man that he saw once out of his window in the alleyway. He was just staring up at him and kind of smiled or something. Really creepy. <laughs> so, yeah. And of course, Wes Craven, like I mentioned before, didn't set out to be a horror filmmaker. That was not his goal at all in life. He just kind of stumbled into it with like Last House on the Left and some other ones. But yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a classic. I think it can be easier to watch than the others. Um, while there's a high body count and there is the gore, it doesn't feel as brutal as some of the other ones can feel. It doesn't feel as brutal as like Friday the 13th in a way. Um, that's why it was interesting to see the two of them together because I kind of think of them as kind of on different planes in a way, even though it was awesome when they brought them together. So... Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to examine the final girl trope a little bit more. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, judging sexuality. We're going to talk about some of the twists that have been put on. We're going to definitely mention Scream a little bit because I think it's um, important to mention that. And then we're going to briefly mention a couple of attempts for the final guy, which one of them we've already mentioned in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and then briefly touch on torture porn. So we'll be back in just a second. 
Okay, and we're back. So we've already started to talk a little bit about the final girl trope, but I want to examine it a little bit more. And first, I want to just talk about um, female sexuality and if we feel that this trope judges it. Since, of course, as they establish in Scream, one of the rules to surviving a horror movie is you don't have sex. So, you know, it's always been a thing in society, in the world, where people are trying to judge female sexuality and trying to control a woman's body. And I want to see if everybody thinks that this is, in a way, another way of judging that, another way of controlling a woman. Uh, What do you think about that, Megan? Well, (laughs) I just watched Jason movies. (laughs) It gave me, I was, I didn't have sex at that point when I watched these movies. It gave me very high expectations for sex personally, because, you know, like these women are having such a great time and it's just fantastic. She's mo- she's into the moment of it and he, he's into it and like they both like are. And it made me very disappointed for my first time. I'm not going to lie. Um, however, however. I feel like I would want, even though I love this trope, it did set me up that way, and I blame myself for it for not being more aware of it, but it was always something that bothered me, and I definitely feel like it shaped my sexuality to be more of like, well, what happens like if women were women and things like that, like, is it better then? Things of that nature, and I don't know, it's just something about these slasher films that makes me feel like Yes, like, a woman is objectified in them, but then with the final girl trope, like, you can see they're trying to balance the elements there, and I really like that, but, oh my gosh, it's just, like, some of these scenes where it's, they're, like, super into it and everything, and I just don't understand why we always have to criticize a woman enjoying sex, and women um, finding pleasure out of things, or even just asking a little bit more um, rebellious or more engaging, I guess, even with her peers, us, mates, whoever it may be. I think of Halloween every time, um, where you see Lori's friend, the one who's the original babysitter. She's not the best babysitter, but, you know, she does her best. Um, <laughs> but she gets killed so brutally, and I just remember this distinctly. And it was like, oh my gosh, is this what happens when you do bad things? Like, is this a cause and effect? And it's, I had to break myself out of that mindset, obviously, but I definitely was like, I, I didn't appreciate that in a lot of the films of like, oh, you need to be this X, Y, and Z in order to be perceived as someone that, you know, is worthy to be the final girl. And like Rebecca, I really enjoyed Nancy. There's just something about Nancy that, you know, is really compelling and just like drives me to be like, yes. That's the kind of girl I want to be. Yes, she's like got this pureness about her, but there's ambition and there's like a rebel in her. And I've always admired that too. So I think slasher films do try to balance it, but obviously there is the issue of like, well, we are doing at the end of the day, you kind of have to just, if it's okay with you or if it's not, and decide which kind of elements you enjoy. I really thought you were going to say what you said. It taught taught you about sexuality. I thought you were going to say, and I expected that there would be a killer at the end when I had sex the first time. And I was like, wow, that must have been a a relief when that didn't happen. No, that was pretty awesome. That might end up being the clip for this week. (laughs) But yeah, that's pretty good. 
um, and Rebecca. I, I I had never thought about the idea of these movies, especially as we had talked before about like the really gratuitous nudity that's in a lot of these films about the idea that somebody watching it from a much younger age, that it also sets up the idea that sex is going to be so good, especially as a teenager or like a young adult, that you won't notice the psycho with the knife behind you. <laughs> so thank you so much, Megan, for making that point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, I think that it, it really is, uh, this is something that not just slasher films do. This is something that the, like I said, I think a lot of horror films are ultimately morality tales and we've used them that way for more than a century at this point. And like, even if you go back to things like Dracula, Bram Stoker's novel of Dracula, you effectively have the woman who, while she's, she is a, a virgin, but she's like, she's the woman that all the dudes want because she gets three proposals in one day. <laughs> and then she gives in to Dracula and becomes a blood-sucking monster. So there's definitely a lot, like even going all the way back to the Victorians, there's this moral panic about women having sex, which has been incredibly detrimental. And you see it show up in, in these films. Again, come back to like the 80s, it's kind of a reaction to free love of the 60s and women being able to get the pill now without having to be a married woman with 10 children and you're able to get birth control more easily and women are able to have sex without necessarily having to get pregnant. And as somebody who went to a Catholic school for the majority of my life, this was already a message that I internalized, like don't have sex. Women who have sex are bad. Uh, this is something that you shouldn't necessarily enjoy. Like, this like maybe maybe with your husband but otherwise just know that this is this is going to be one of the burdens you will bear in your life as a woman and you should absolutely not do it before you get married and while certainly catholic schools did not promote horror films in any way they were kind of against a lot of them there was sort of this very convenient overlap in my life growing up in the 80s and 90s of the slasher films becoming popular and the education that I got from a Catholic school in which the same messages were reinforced. And so, yeah, there's definitely, that's, I could say that that's done a lot of, uh, had some negative impacts psychologically and with how young women, I think at the time, viewed sex. Uh, and I think that, that we're starting to get away from that now because the idea that you're going to have a lot of girls in high school that are virgins is kind of passe at this point, at this point. I, like even most of the horror movies that I can think of that have been made recently, they usually kind of make fun of that idea. Like I think of cabin in the woods where spoiler, they get to the end of the movie and the final girl at the end of the movie, they're like, and then we have you the virgin. And she's like, I'm not a virgin. She's like, we work with what we can get. <laughs> like, yeah, close enough. <laughs> and I also think of things like, um, it comes up also in Jennifer's body, 
I don't know if anybody saw that movie. It's not. I don't know if you'd consider it a slasher film because it's a bit more supernatural. Um, but people actually initially saw the movies, made this like made this mistake of thinking that Needy in the movie was a virgin for the majority of the film until she and her boyfriend have sex in one scene. And they think that like there were a lot of people that I saw that interpreted the movie as like, oh, well, it's when she has sex for the first time that she's like she sees blood dripping from the ceiling and it's because her friend is murdering someone. And like, this is more of that reinforcement that women having sex is bad. And I'm like, no, she and her boyfriend had definitely been having sex. Like before they talked about it. (laughs) So we, I think we're starting to get away from some of that now. And I think it's because it's so much of a trope that if you want to surprise anybody, you as a horror film director have to get away from it. And I, I agree with Megan. I think the final girl becomes a nice reversal on that. Again, as the girl who went to Catholic school, who was like, hey, at least I'd survive a horror movie because I am the good girl virgin as the high school student. <laughs> I won't get murdered. <laughs> Sasha, your thoughts? Uh, apparently I'm the first one to die in a horror movie. Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> TMI? Not in a Norwegian slasher film. I will have you know, the Norwegians yes. believe that the virgins die first. Yes. So if I'm in a Norwegian horror movie, I am your final girl. Um, it's it was really funny to listen to Megan talk about the expectations of what sex should be like because I I never even that never crossed my mind while watching any of them. Um, so that was kind of a cool insight that I hadn't even considered. Um, And I echo a lot of everything else that everybody has said so far, but I wanted to throw out there the, the change that we're making, I think happens with scream, right? Because Sydney, right. They have sex and she still is the final girl. Um, So it's like, you can have sex in a horror movie and not, die like that is where the shift starts happening so it breaks from those very 80s 90s moral judgments of what makes a good girl what doesn't you have to be this way you have to do that um and i know aaron said you said we'd talk about scream so i don't want to go too much into it but i think that that definitely breaks the mold on the judging of sexuality and what that looks like in horror it makes that shift so yeah. Yeah, it it definitely definitely does. Yeah, and I just I just keep thinking about what you said, Megan, because I just <laughs> I just think that was was a great interesting way to look at it because I'd never looked at it that way before. Um but yeah, it it is it is a very interesting judgment um that you see in these movies sometimes where it it feels like at, at one end you have empowering the woman and the woman is very powerful and she's going to defeat evil. But on the other end you have, but she can only be a certain amount of powerful. There's other things we aren't going to allow her to have necessarily. And if she does do that, we'll kill her. You know, if she is deemed a slut for lack of a better word, um, we'll kill her. If she, um, does too many drugs, drinks too much. If all she wants to do is party and she doesn't want to concentrate on her schoolwork, we'll kill her. 
But if you are the good girl, we're going to reward you and you're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger throughout the movie. So it is this kind of interesting morality play there. And while I love these and I love the characters and I think they have um, a lot of depth to them and some of them do, I don't think I don't think most of the characters, honestly, and no offense to the movie because I enjoy some, but I don't think a lot of the characters in Friday the 13th have very much depth necessarily. I think in the first one they do um, and some of the sequels they do, but um, you don't see that much depth necessarily. Um, but I think you do see that in the other ones. And most of the depth, for the most part, is reserved for the final girl. Um, you do get some of it in some of the side characters, sometimes like in Halloween. And the interesting thing about about Nightmare on Elm Street um, that I want to point out really quickly with this trope is I think, you know, a lot of people point out that when you're first watching Nightmare on Elm Street, um, the first one, I don't think everybody initially, they didn't think that Nancy, what the people that were initially viewing it, not people writing it or making it, didn't think Nancy was actually going to be the final girl. They thought Tina was, you know, um, as far as like the way it was set up, it seemed like it might be revolving around Tina. And then, of course, Tina dies. And I also got to meet her, too, Amanda Weiss, just to throw that out there, too. She was also at that film festival. And I got to stand next to her when we took pictures together because she won um, – an award she was getting there getting an award so just want to mention that too she was really she's really cool um but yeah that that was the interesting about thing about that one is that it started out where it seemed more to be tina's story and then it revolved around it evolved into nancy's story and nancy to me even though Lori represents it too i think nancy represents um so much of the good girl i think even more than Lori in some ways um, I think even down to the way she dresses, she seems so childlike and innocent. And um, even though she has a very, very, very sexual scene in the movie when she's in the bathtub and Freddie's hand comes up between her legs, that's very, very sexual. Um, and there's no way you can say that's not sexual. Um, so, it, so that's what's interesting to me about Nancy is to me, Nancy is even more innocent and she becomes even stronger. And you really see that when she comes back in, in three is that she's evolved. She still has the same personality, but she's now kind of the overseer. She's the protector. Um, she's the one that is going to save all of these kids by sacrificing herself basically. So I think it's a very, that's a very interesting character to examine because um, I know there was this one question that was around on Twitter not too long ago about who is the stronger final girl. Is it Lori or is it Nancy? Um, and a lot of people argued for Nancy because of what happens to her and how she evolves in the movies. I was arguing for Lori, but I can totally see why people say Nancy as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting trope because there's so much power to it but then there's also so much judgment to it at the same time that's why i think it's interesting how it evolved and how you know um one of the ways it evolved was through scream which we're going to talk about a little bit right now and what's interesting about scream of course is wes craven directed scream it wasn't written by wes craven but wes craven directed it 
And, of course, Wes Craven gave us Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Scream was written by Kevin Williamson, if you don't know that. Um, And so I think Scream was a horror movie, and it was also a satire in a lot of ways. Um, And it really, really turned the trope around um, with Sydney Brist, with Sydney. um, I almost called her Sydney Bristow from... (laughs) Isn't that the alias character? Sorry. Uh, with Sydney. So let's talk about Scream a little bit. Megan, what are your thoughts on Scream and what that did with the final girl trope? Sydney is just like, she was just more of like, she was different. You could tell, like, you know, she likes that fun. She had very strong opinions on what she wanted and things. And it was just, it was refreshing to see someone who wasn't so meek, I guess, but. Even then, it's like Sydney was just different from the other final girls just because she didn't have this uh, modest, like, chastity, kind of like the ideal Catholic girl kind of ideal about her. She was um, more into the fashion side of things, and she just cared a lot more about other things that were not so, like, oh, let's be the better person all the time. It's like she, she was a teenage girl. Like, you could see and relate to her as a teenage girl. And I think that's what made Scream appealing for me is the fact that, yeah, like, it's okay for me to do these things and be interested in boys and want to do normal girl things. And yeah, if I come across a situation like this, it's there, but I also care about these other things. And it's not this constant battle of you have to be pure in order to survive. And it was just a really nice, refreshing thing for me personally. Yeah, yeah that and sydney prescott sorry i said her name bristow <laughs> um rebecca your thoughts on scream and sydney so scream was the the first slasher movie that i remember thinking okay i can i could actually get into this to this genre and i think it's because it's it's tongue-in-cheek there's a lot of self-reference to the genre and a lot of talking about the tropes and kind of why these things exist uh that I personally enjoy because I like that kind of wink at the camera breaking of there's a there's not truly breaking of the fourth wall but there's some acknowledgement that they're in a horror movie and I think Sydney Sydney is interesting because we talk about trauma in these films usually what's what's the trauma that creates the killer and in some ways I think that Sydney has to pay for her mother's trauma and you see through the next two films, and I have I have not seen Scream Four. Sorry, I did see the Scream TV show that was on MTV for a little while. Uh, but you see how Sydney has to pay, but almost very literally with her life, for her mom being promiscuous, which I think is part of what really updates this whole idea around virginity in horror movies and women's sexuality. It is, her mom was literally the old idea of have sex and get punished. And the fact that the killers want to continue to take that out on her, even though she's not the one that (laughs) broke up their families. You know, she's, she is not the one that did that. She, she is also dealing with trauma from the very beginning of the movie before any of the murders take place. She has to deal with the loss of her mother. She's already dealing with a lot of this trauma. And then she's being stalked 
by a killer. <laughs> and I, I love seeing that. I love that all of these final girls ultimately end up overcoming trauma time and time again to be able to save themselves and save others. I think you could make an, an argument that there's a second final girl in Scream as well, the reporter, Courtney Cox, whose name I'm totally blanking on. But Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers, yes. Thank you. I'm like, Courtney Cox, that woman. But she's also kind of a final girl. Like, she she gets her her attacks in in the movie. She has been attacked in the film, and she's attacked later in the sequels, too. And she ends up surviving. And I, I really enjoy that they bring it up in the sequels that she kind of makes her career off of this and exploiting some of this trauma that all these other people live through for her own personal gain. So I think that there were several things in Scream that helped helped move us forward. And I think it in large part is because it directly acknowledged some of those ideas and then said, guess what? We're throwing it out the window. Just because Sydney's had sex doesn't mean that she's going to die now. Because as soon as she had sex in the movie, I was the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, you're going to die. You're going to die. We've talked about this. Sydney. I'm, I'm waiting for the killer to pop through, pop through the window right now and just <laughs> slip to the rope. And she didn't. And I was very surprised by that. Go Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point about Gail Weathers. And Gail Weathers is not, um, you know, the nice girl at all. <laughs> no, at all. not and at all. And she's a nemesis for Sydney. Um, later on, they become close but she is a nemesis for Sydney in the beginning and she's pushing her buttons and she's you know wanting the guy Cotton Weary who they all thought was the person who killed her mom is trying to get him off so it's this very so that's a very interesting yeah I didn't even think about that but yeah she is definitely a final girl and that's the interesting about thing about Scream is there's not just one person who survives in Scream there are multiple people that survive and they don't always they don't all survive the sequels but there are multiple people that multiple people that do survive um what are your thoughts sasha um well i already kind of mentioned about sydney and the sex and so but like rebecca said there's that whole scene where they're going through the rules of the horror movie you know it's like they don't drink and they all take a drink don't have sex and that goes out the window and then the don't ever say i'll be right back you know because then you're gonna die as soon as you say i'll be right back and he backs out of the room all like, I'll be right back, like an idiot. Um, so, you know, it was very tongue-in-cheek, and it did acknowledge, like, they're in a horror movie. They pointed it out. They talk about it. Um, so that was kind of a cool take on it, uh, and just mixing up the entire horror thing by acknowledging that you're in it, acknowledging all the flaws that can happen, and then none of that really comes true, right? Because she has the sex and doesn't die. He says, I'll be right back. And, well, we know how that ends. No spoilers, you know. And then the drinking, it's not because they're drinking that they die. So their sins, with heavy air quotes, aren't what get them killed. Mm-hmm. It's just pure psychopathy that gets them killed, really. 
Yeah. Again, I want to point out behind the mask also really points out a lot of the overthinking and like oh, overthinking a lot of the analysis that we have of slasher films. So the, because they're making a documentary about a guy who wants to be a, a serial killer, he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's actually a special effect. <laughs> it's like it's like I've actually set up fog machines all over here so that when I chase them across the field, it's foggy, <laughs> makes mm-hmm. them more likely to trip over things. And there's something that I think I think that the film industry and filmmakers need need people to occasionally point those out so that they can start thinking beyond them to go like, okay, we get it. We get all of the rules. And if you're just going to play by all these rules, then we know what's going to happen by the end. And we're not going to have as much fun anymore. Mm -hmm. It is. It's taking the rules and throwing them out the window. Yeah. And trying to start over. (laughs) <laughs> really I mean because also the thing with Scream and I and spoilers galore I'm gonna, I'm gonna spoil Scream okay but the thing with Scream and with the sequels is that you you don't have this you don't have you have Ghostface but Ghostface is a different person or people in each sequel and that's what's so interesting I think about the Scream series as well and um, I want to point out a little fact here because everybody except for Skeet Ulrich knew what kind of movie they were making. Skeet thought they were making actually a traditional horror movie. And that's why his character, I don't know if you noticed when you watch that, his character is so beyond the, he's on a different level as everybody else. It's, he's creepy. Um, You're unsure of him, yet he's kind of sexy. Um, He's kind of that bad boy. He kind of sticks out from the rest of the characters. And I think it works. I think it works for the movie. But I think that happened because of the way he approached it. Because he thought, he said he didn't realize that until after the movie was done. Until after he started talking about it. That they were making a movie that was also kind of a satire. Um, He had no clue. Which is just so funny to me. And then I want to point out Matthew Lillard who plays Stort. Who is the other killer, of course. And I want to point him out because he sadly doesn't think he did a good job in this movie. And I think he is phenomenal in this movie. He has some of the best. I know. I know. Sasha's like, what? Um, He has some of the best lines. Um, Of course, I love when he gets caught and (laughs) Sydney's, you know, calling the police and everything. And did you really do that? My parents are going to be so pissed. I mean, it's just so funny because he doesn't have a real reason necessarily for doing this. Whereas uh, Billy Loomis, the Skeet's character does because, you know, he's trying to get revenge for his family falling apart from this affair. Um, and so really, like you were mentioning, Rebecca, it's kind of kids pay- paying for the sins of their parents. The movie is about um, in in ways if you're going to look at it a little bit deeper is you know people having to outrun the sins of their of their parents so but yeah i think the scream series is a lot of fun i think the first scream is so so much fun i i do have issues with some of the sequels i didn't think scream 2 was as bad as other people think it is but part of that's probably because timothy olivent is in it um and I love Dave Arquette in these movies. Um, you know, that that character also, another little side, was supposed to not be as uh, comedic. Um, that, that was not the way that character was written. So I'm very glad that that kind of got changed up there. Like I said, we're going to delve really deep into them next year um, because I think they deserve that. Plus Wes Craven. 
Rest in peace. Okay. Um, so let's get into a little bit of, we've talked about the twist. We've talked about um, defeating evil a little bit. We've talked about sexuality. Um, talk a little bit. They try to twist the trope here and they try to make it a final guy. And put a couple of examples of this, which is in Nightmares. Of course, you have uh, Jesse, who is the final guy. Most people, even though um, there is a fan base for it, a lot of people hated this film, um, didn't think it worked as well because you had a, a man be the final guy. Um, and then also in the new Friday the 13th in 2009, you pretty much had that too with um, Jared Padalecki's character in that. I'm not a fan of that movie, but um, I want to talk about that a little bit and if anyone has any thoughts on that, Megan, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, it was interesting with both films. I enjoyed them in their own ways, but it was a little disappointing to see like the girl didn't survive at the end of it for me, just because like a lot of that empowerment for me from slasher films does come from that final girl surviving. It kind of put in this element of like somber feeling of like, well, we have final guy, like not surprised but it, it was kind of anticlimactic in that essence for me i'm not saying that there shouldn't be a final guy but i don't know i think the final girl is something i do enjoy i just want to see it done in different ways too and i don't know I enjoy these movies though so they are like if i had to rank my favorite slasher movies like they do both sit in my top five but it's because of different parts and elements of it. And the ending always kind of just hit me a little bit differently compared to the other ones, in comparison to the other ones, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Rebecca? So I actually have not seen the 2009, the new Friday, the 13th. Um, so bad on me for <laughs> not seeing that one. Uh but I, like I mentioned, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Friday the 13th, Freddy's Revenge. Not Friday the 13th, sorry. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street to Freddy's Revenge. Uh, I don't know why I frequently mix up the names Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, and I don't know why. But I think that the reason why that why Freddy's Revenge works for having a final guy is because it is very gay-coded. As I mentioned, part of the appeal of the final girl is that you take a person who, again, this comes out of a lot of very misogynistic you know, societal beliefs that we have that women are going to be weaker, that they're easier prey. And I think that in this case for uh, Freddie too, that you have a man who is not explicitly said to be gay in the movie, but is very gay-coded. And you have, here you have another person who you think is not supposed to survive. Because, again, going back to all of our moral panic and, you know, moralizing and things that come up in, in horror films, the gay guy should be one of the people to die, according to most rules of horror films. He's supposed to be too weak. He's supposed to be not manly enough to be able to survive this. And I do have some problems with him 
literally being saved by heterosexuality <laughs> at the end of the movie. Uh, spoilers, sorry. Uh, but I do think that there's something very appealing about seeing this this gay coded character and the actor who plays him is gay. And that was, uh, if you ever see the movie Scream Queen, he goes into great detail about how this movie effectively outed him, even though he wasn't trying to play this as a gay character. But it was clearly written that way. And it's taken the writer how many years to finally admit that. I think that there is something that's equally empowerful uh, empowering to the gay community, especially from watching the documentary about the movie, to see their their gay final boy survive to the end, and to deal with some of these things that you know we talked about the idea of you know women being punished for their sexuality. He definitely gets <laughs> punished for any sort of like. All of the the gay coding in the movie, he definitely gets punished for it. And I've actually told one of my my gay guy friends uh, we were talking about horror movies recently. I was like, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. It is literally the gayest horror movie. I knew more about this version, like this movie, than I did about the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's because while I was in film school and I was doing my thesis on cross-dressing and gay, like representation and transgenderism in film i kept coming across these essays about nightmare on elm street too i was like this must be a brilliant film all of these scholars have written about it and it's many like representations for the gay community uh yeah it it, it is not like i will have to admit it's not really the best made film but I think that it's a lot of fun. So I think that I think at least in Freddy's Revenge, you get some of that empowerment for that we feel from the final girl for perhaps some gay men in the audience. That's my my thought. If you are a a listener who disagrees with me, you can you can hear where you can tweet at me and tell me that I am wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll have some thoughts on that in a second. Um, Sasha. I'm going to keep it super short and sweet so you can jump right into your thoughts. Um, I apparently was not paying attention during either one of those movies, so I did not see the attempt at a final guy. Um, so I have zero input into this particular section. <laughs> okay. What I got. Yes, yes, but you should see that the documentary that that Rebecca's mentioned, and I've mentioned it on here before too, um, a screen queen, screen queen, because it's it's really good and it's really interesting, and and it's um, on Shutter. <laughs> it is on Shutter. Yes, <laughs> that's actually not where I watched it first, though. I actually rented it, and then it became available on Shutter later after I had rented it. But yeah, um, I I you know I as I said before, I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street 2 works because I don't think it fits with the rest of the movies. Um, I think it, it, it strays from it in that it doesn't follow the storyline. Um, it, it really, um, it doesn't really kind of go the same way. It's more of Freddie trying to basically possess this guy and Freddie 
Freddie represents queerness in that. And then um, you've got his friend who the character's name is escaping me. I'll look it up here in a second. Um, you know, trying to get him away from, you know, go come to the straight side, stay away from the gay side is really what that's about. When I saw it as a kid, I had no clue. I did not know that that was what was going on. Um, I just knew I didn't really like it as much as the others. Um I, I I think I think it's I think it's interesting to look at it as as being a, a gay hero in a way or seeing the gay boy survive. Although I think the fact that he ends up choosing the straight way, be, choosing to be straight, in a way is kind of a slap in the face. And I think the fact that so many people did not um, support Mark Patton. Um, for so long kind of angers me about this movie um i think for a long time and i'm talking mainly about the people behind the scenes and especially the writer um david chaskin who you know wouldn't like rebecca said he wouldn't admit for the longest time that this movie was totally queer coded and it was totally um you know there's i mean they go to a gay bar in the movie um, and where they filmed was a gay bar and he supposedly yep. had no clue. I mean, the director didn't know, supposedly didn't know they were going there, which is BS. I mean, they knew, they just didn't want to admit that. Um, but, but, you know, and, and it's very, it's sad because he got made, Mark Patton got made fun of a lot because he has this very distinct scream in there that really goes into the whole scream queen thing and people kind of making fun of him for that because he quote unquote screamed like a girl. Um, and so those are kind of my, my issues with it. While I do think it's, it's, it's great it, that it is, um, held up that a lot of people in in the gay community do embrace it for that um i think it's sad that the filmmakers couldn't really be more honest about it um i think it's sad that in the end he goes with lisa who was who's the female character so in the end he chooses to go that way and i'm not saying you should ever choose to be freddy krueger but you know he didn't he didn't choose to actually come out and i mean he very Clearly, in my mind, he had a lot of love for the Ron character, um, and that wasn't fully explored. And I know the times and everything like that, but still, I'm just gonna, I, I'm just gonna say that. But I also just didn't like it because I didn't think it fit with the rest of um, the storyline, with the rest of the nightmares. Um, that's why when I rewatch it, I usually just skip it. To be honest, just because of that, that idea. Um, and then for the Friday the 13th one, I've only seen that one once. Um, and I just kind of thought it was kind of a snooze and I understood what they were trying to do. And they've tried to do that before in Friday the 13th where they're having like a guy, um, the, the character that, uh, Corey Feldman played, the name is escaping me. And they also did some of that in Halloween too with, um, oh God, I'm, that's escaping me too. But uh, sorry, guys, but um, they've tried it before. But I th I just wanted to mention those two because those were two that uh, came to mind, especially in Nightmare on Elm Street, too, because I think that one was really blatantly being a final guy instead of a final girl. Um, and I'm sure there there are more of those, I think, now where you will see that. Um, and of course, in Scream, you have Dewey 
in Scream being a final guy. You could really argue that, too, because he survives so much. So, yeah, but I just wanted to briefly touch on that. Well, we're kind of running out of time, so I kind of want to wrap up with just briefly talking about um, torture porn. And the reason I want to talk about torture porn briefly is because um, I've heard people compare it to slasher films. Um, that's the next evolution in slasher films. I disagree. I think there's a little, there's a big difference between them. Um, and so I just want to get people's little brief thoughts on torture porn. Megan, do you have any thoughts on torture porn? Um, it's weird that people think it's going to torture porn because torture porn is not, <laughs> it's so one dimensional in comparison to slasher films. In slasher films, you have the ongoing fear ambiance happening, uh, like the music, as mentioned earlier by Sasha in Halloween. You have uh, in Freddy, uh, the development of his character and how we understand his background, what he comes from, things like that. Like there's more to it. Like there's actual story behind it. And it forces the audience to emotionally develop connections with these characters the way a lot of us feel towards Lori, Nancy and some of our other final characters or even just characters in it we grow a somewhat of a connection with them and we want we want to see them survive but we also like secretly kind of want to see how they die I mean that's the point of a slasher film is to see the creative ways they die but it's never been focused on just pure sex it's never been focused on um, very kind of you know, jumping into the X-rated side of things, it, slasher films has a story and a purpose. The sex is there, but it's not the driving point that keeps it keeps us going. It's more about that emotional investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very well put, um, Rebecca. I'll keep this brief. I hate torture porn. I don't want to watch it. I think it's gratuitous. It's not really creative. I'm trying to think of movies that I have actually seen that would be considered in the torture porn category. I think Saw counts. And I saw that one in the theater with a friend of mine. And I got to the end and I was like, well, I guess the writers came up with some bizarre ways to kill people. But I have no interest in watching this movie again. That was dumb. <laughs> so, yeah, I hate torture porn. Not into it. <laughs> yeah, Saw is considered by some to be the one that launched torture porn. So, yeah, yeah. Although others argue that it's not because it's not as gratuitous as um, the sequels, the Saw sequels, which I don't know if I've even seen any of them. And then, um, of course, some Eli Roth films. So what are your thoughts on torture porn, Sasha? Um, I am also not a fan. Um, I don't know that I would put Saw in that camp for, I think more like, um, Hostel and that series. Um, as much as I love a good kill and all the splatter, I don't want that to be my kills and splatter. So I like it campy and cheesy and torture porn is not campy nor is it cheesy it's just over the top and that is not my cup of tea yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna echo what everyone said and and i'm wondering um 
if there are um if, if it's if it's a female thing i'm sure there are female fans of torture porn though so i don't know but i was just wondering that if maybe it's because to me um torture porn the reason i think of it as different than a slasher flick is and i know this has already sort of been mentioned but there's no redeeming value to it there's no um yeah there are people that might survive in the end and win in the end but really the whole point of torture porn in my mind is to see how far you can go with how grotesque it is and this isn't the same as a body count to me it's more like let's see how gross we can be and how realistic we can be with that gore that's really to me what it comes down to when you watch hostel the interesting thing about hostel is the first one the second one i talked about in our uh why we love horror and i talked about how much i hate that movie and how misogynistic it is but the interesting part about uh, the first hostel is the first half of it really nothing happens. I mean, nothing horror related happens. It's actually kind of an interesting story. It's actually kind of an interesting story of showing how egotistical Americans can be when they go to a different country. Um, so there is kind of an interesting thing there, but then you get into the torture porn tar part to the part where people are literally paying money to kill people um, and not just kill them, but torture them. And it veers off. It's like, then it's like, okay, the camera kind of becomes a voyeur in it. Um, and they kind of just want to see how many ways they can kill people. And in my opinion, sexually get off on it. I really do think that some of these people are doing this because they, it arouses them in some weird way. And I know I might be wrong, but I just, I mean, although I've heard Eli Roth said he actually hates blood in real life and is squeamish, but I just think it's, it's just, they're just, they just kind of get off on it. And I didn't like Saw very much either, but I do think Saw is a little bit different in the fact that it's not as grotesque um, as um, some of the sequels I've heard are, or as hostile, or um, there are a lot of ones. I can't even think of some of them. I know I've seen some other ones there. Um, there is one that might be considered torture porn that I actually like, and it's called um, Would You Rather, um, and it's an it's an interesting little movie, but it is very gory to another level than slasher. That's the thing, is that it's very gory and very realistic. I think there are some movies like the movie Martyrs that could even be considered torture porn, but they do it in a sort of different way that's that's a french film i guess they remade it but i didn't see the remake um but yeah i just think they are the definition of exploitation movies um i think they are misogynistic um i think they are just an excuse to just show as much gore and to go as far as possible with it and there can be a way to do that and do it well but i don't think that's what most torture porn does and for me torture porn almost ruined horror i think um because it became so popular and such the big thing and yeah i, I just agree. I yeah agree many many issues with it but the reason i just wanted to bring it up because i've heard people compare it and say well if you like slasher films then of course you're going to like torture porn 
And no. And I think there can there are some movies that are good movies that have elements of torture in them. Um, I think there are some movies that have very interesting concepts that might consider having a little bit of in that like um we're going to talk about on our politics in horror i'm going to mention um the purge series because i think that one has a lot some elements of torture porn in the way that the violence is but i think there's a different broader message to that movie um even though sometimes it doesn't succeed but i think that that's that's an interesting one there too but okay, well, uh, we're going to wrap up now. We're going to go around and have everybody tell us where they can be found. Um, if they want to be found, we'll see if this is the night. Um, start with you, Megan. <laughs> um, is, that's I a no. Remain anonymous for the time being. That you thought about that and said that every time. <laughs> Yeah, well, because, and you're not the only one on here, too, that might do that. So I was like, I wonder if one of them is going to be like, I'm going to break it, but no. <laughs> okay, and, and Rebecca? So if you want to uh, come at me about torture porn or about my feelings on horror films or Freddy's Revenge, you can find me on Twitter, although I do not tweet much, at Rebecca Jacobson. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. And uh, let me know if you think that Jason from Friday the 13th can teleport. That is a film theory that I learned recently and had not thought about. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just, I'm picturing something very specific when you said that. I was picturing, this has nothing to even do with slasher films, but there's, I don't know if anybody else has ever played Plants vs. Zombies. (laughs) But there's this one level where the zombies can teleport through like a mirror thing in the middle. I don't know. I don't know why that made me think of that, but that's where my brain is. Um, and Sasha, is tonight the night? Tonight is not the night. I have a very specific plan for this reveal, so you're just going to have to be patient. <laughs> It will be coming soon. I will tell you that. Um, although Rebecca just gave me my nightmares for tonight of a teleporting Jason. So thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm thinking <laughs> the same thing, honestly. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Maybe it gave all the listeners out there nightmares too. So you're welcome. <laughs> And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, um, anything that if you want to go, Jason is the best and Freddie is the worst or Freddie is the best and Michael is the worst. If you have any kind of feedback or any feedback or any horror movies that you want us to shout out during this month, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week we are going to be talking about politics and horror because I've mentioned before that I think horror is very political. And then we are going to be talking about vampires and I'm very excited to talk about vampires. And we're going to be talking a lot about sexuality when we talk about vampires. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and black lives matter.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.